We are at the cusp of some significant breakthroughs. If that's an obsession and it gets humanity forward, sign me up. I'm more than happy to do it because what we're talking about is not having people live to 150 aged and infirm. It's about being healthy for longer. Hello again, welcome to Llama, the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. I'm Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. This episode is brought to you in association with Clinique La Prairie, the award-winning spa clinic and pioneering health and wellness destination nestled on the shores of Lake Geneva in Montreux, Switzerland. Combining preventative medicine with bespoke lifestyle and nutrition plans, Clinique La Prairie offers a holistic approach to living fuller, healthier, and longer lives. Today we're heading to New Zealand to meet one of the country's leading voices in the field of well-being and ageing. Greg McPherson is a biotechnologist, a pharmacist, and the author of Harnessing the Nine Hallmarks of Ageing, Turning Our Cells into Little Pharmaceutical Factories. Greg is also the founder of SRW Laboratories, SRW Science Research and Wellness, a company that curates the latest biotechnology research to help us age better. Greg's main focus, as the title of his book implies, is the ageing process at a cellular level and what we can do to nurture that process. Greg, welcome to the Live Long and Master Ageing podcast. Peter, thank you. Great to talk with you. Yeah, very good to talk to you as well. So chemistry and pharmacology, they're your main disciplines. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, your schooling, your training, and and what brought you to this area of research? Yeah, absolutely, Peter. Um, I graduated from School of Pharmacy in Dunedin, Otago uh, in Dunedin in New Zealand. I uh, did that in, uh, just under 30 years ago. So I've been in the pharmacy game for some time. And I've really just always had an interest in understanding technology. And um, you know, more recently, I've, I've often, well, probably the last 20 years, really each, at the start of each year, gone, you know what, how can I help more people with what I know now? And, um, and, and through that, um, I've, I've developed an internet business, one of the first farm, online pharmacies in New Zealand. Um, I was part of a team that bought the first robotic dispensing laboratories into New Zealand. And, um, and a couple, about 10 years ago, started to go down the rabbit hole of biotechnology and, and cellular, uh, health and, um, ended up doing a little consulting and then leading a biotechnology company. Did that, uh, up until two years ago, at which point I uh, took a break and, um, ventured out on the, on the, the current journey as author and, um, starting up the SRW laboratories. I'm curious, is there a, a large community of biotechnology or longevity researchers in New Zealand? Um, they're hidden, but yeah, there are. There are certain doctors that are focusing on it, um, but uh, the majority of work is, is done around the world. It's not so much, uh, you know, New Zealand is certainly not a biotechnology uh, haven, although definitely working on it. Yeah, it's interesting that increasingly it feels like we're quite a small world in the way that we can actually share the knowledge from from this research and, and collaborations of course are so much easier with uh, scientists in other countries. Yeah I've recently joined uh, the Biotechnology New Zealand um, uh, group if you will and um, you know there are some very interesting pieces of work that are being done in, done in New Zealand um, and a few companies that have actually started to commercialise and do it quite well. As your career has developed and as your understanding of of these issues and ageing in particular has developed, have you 
firmed up your view as to what exactly aging is? That's a great question. Um, certainly, I think that aging is 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 programmed. I believe that um, we there's there's a certain um, element of it. I think that uh, aging is is modifiable. I think that you know we have a uh, our genome is responsible for what is it twenty percent of actually our genetic destiny, and the, and the environment is responsible for the balance and you know how we how we inter, inter, interact with our environment. Um, and obviously there are some hard stops along the way, but I think um, that those hard stops are quietly being chipped away. And I think that you know is going to be a moving target that over the next few generations we're going to see that that. Uh, the definition of aging changing quite substantially, and I think for a long time one one opinion was that aging was at the centre of aging was simply cellular damage, damage as we grow older. I and mean, it is very clear that it it's much bigger and more complex than that. Yeah, there are animals out there and organisms that are essentially immortal. So, you know that that puts a big dent in that uh, in that theory. So, you know it's it's about it's about. Um, how our body responds to that damage, and if we are um, set up to, I guess, uh, to fix it, to um, to not uh, succumb to it, then um, I think you know potentially we can live substantially longer than we are now. And where do you stand? And this is something I talk about constantly: the phrase "age reversal" or anti-aging. I, I was struck by the title of your book, "Harnessing the Nine Hallmarks of Aging." You start with a positive word, "harnessing." Uh, I, I like to see aging as something that we can embrace and move forward and make the best of, rather than trying to, in some ways, turn the clock back. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't like the term anti-aging at all. Um, but I use it because that's just the, the, the vernacular. It's what people understand. But, um, you know, to me, aging is yeah, it's a positive thing that we embrace and, um, and we enjoy it, for, I guess, the knowledge of what it brings and the adventure that it brings and the wisdom that it brings. Um, and harnessing is really just about actually going, okay, look, what, with what we know now, how do we actually improve uh, the aging process, and, and there will come a time that we may be able to reverse age. We may be able to reprogram ourselves um, and you know to select the age that we want to to live at and sit at. But um, for now, that's that's beyond what we can achieve. So you write about the nine hallmarks of aging. Can you give me a, a definition of a hallmark of aging? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's just a cause of aging essentially, and uh, you in scientific literature. Um, Throughout throughout the literature, there are hallmarks of cancer. There are hallmarks of um, Alzheimer's. A hallmark essentially is a, is a, a I guess a, a scientifically agreed uh, cause of um, of a particular condition, um, and that, that that is present with within all of those conditions. So, um, in the instance of um, so perhaps one of the hallmarks is a, is something called mitochondrial dysfunction, and uh, to determine that as a hallmark, um, it has to decline. With age normally, which is what we see, um, if you make a mitochondria reverse mitochondrial dysfunction, what we see is some benefits in terms of slowing aging. And if you accelerate it, then you speed it up. So if you can tick those three boxes and all of your scientific peers agree with you, then you can register uh, as, as a hallmark. And, um, and, and that's an exciting piece of work in its own right, because once you identify a hallmark, then researchers can start to look at that hallmark and go, okay, can we modify it? Can we play with it? What can we do to treat it and actually intervene and um, potentially slow the process down? 
Yeah, I think mitochondrial health is, is fascinating. And it's something we've actually talked about quite a bit. And just to make it relevant as to why mitochondrial health matters, mitochondrial health has a, a correlation to your energy levels, to your muscular strength. And of course, if you don't have strong muscular strength, what comes as you age? Well, frailty. And frailty is often the beginning of the end for people. And it, it's sometimes difficult to, to kind of work backwards and figure out why you've suddenly become frail. And of course, my mitochondria are, are at the centre of that. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, the, these are, uh, are our, our, battery, our cellular batteries. They're incredible little, I guess, micro-machines. If you think when you sort of open your uh, a brand new phone and you charge it up and it, that phone will last you for a couple of days and then over, over time, over perhaps two, three years, you've got to charge that phone a couple of times a day. And, and that's what's happening um, over our lifetimes with our mitochondria. They're, they are literally batteries, um, and, and then they, and they decline. They get damaged as we age. And they become less efficient, and, um, and ultimately they start to damage our cells as they throw off uh, an excess of free radicals, and it's, sort of, it's a bit of a snowball effect. But um, you know, if you care and nurture and look after your mitochondria, it's a very reasonable strategy for ageing. And another sign of ageing that, again, you and I, ordinary people, wouldn't be aware of, but is talked about a lot, and that is telomere length. Telomeres being the little shoelaces at the end of chromosomes. Uh, again, outwardly, something we're not aware of. But why, is, why are they important? Yeah, they're, they're a, um, a part of, they are one of the nine hallmarks of ageing. And there are, there are three hallmarks of ageing relating, directly relating to our DNA um, the first one is essentially just the uh, well, the telomere attrition, which is the shortening of these these laces, and and that can happen through any any number of things. It can be our diet, it can be our, the fact that we're not sleeping so well, it can be how we're managing our stress. Um, these typically uh, the, these these things conspire to shorten these telomeres, and and telomeres. If you have a shorter telomere, if you and I were twins and you had uh, longer telomeres than I, and then. If you and I both had a heart attack on the same day, um, it's quite possible that you would recover much better than I would just for the fact that I've got shorter telomeres. And so it's really a measure almost of the, uh, of the stress and the challenges that you've had during your age, um, because that's essentially what, what shortens them. And, um, and then the other two hallmarks associated with your DNA is something called genomic instability. You know, your, your DNA breaks 50 to 100,000 times a day per cell, which is, quite phenomenal and it breaks because we've got oxidative stress and free radicals attacking it, we've got UV rays coming at it, we've got our diet and lack of exercise and essentially life is what uh, you know can really mess up your DNA and we've got amazing repair and maintenance mechanisms inside our cells that just constantly monitor and repair and fix your DNA um, but over time you know you just can't fix all the things all the time so that actually has an impact. And then lastly, there's something called epigenetic alteration. And if you think about your genes as being the, the core, then you've got these switches that sit on the outside of your DNA that are responsible for turning off and on your genes. And that can start to get a little fumbled and mumbled as we get older. And that just means that the cells are get a bit confused. And um, whereas, you know, you might be have a, a skin cell in your in your teens that's 100% skin. When you get to 90, it might start to think it's a wee bit of brain and a wee bit of heart. And um, these are things that uh, you know, ultimately um, cause the cells to just not function the well they do and, and they decline. 
You mentioned diet and exercise, which are probably the the two easiest, the two most basic interventions that people can apply to themselves without any particular scientific knowledge. I think we understand a lot about the importance of exercise and especially vigorous exercise every day for individuals and and also a a good diet. I'm not going to all the details of all the different diets that people can choose, but uh, let's say a basic diet, perhaps with fewer calories than most people are, are inclined to eat. But on top of that, and this is really where your work comes in, you're looking at other interventions. It could be nutraceuticals, it could be compounds that we take that are perhaps derived from plants that attack the very problems that you've just been talking about. So I'm curious, apart from diet and exercise, what would you focus in on as perhaps the most important line of of research at the moment, the most important kind of intervention that people could possibly look at? Yeah, the, the, the intervention I'm getting most excited about right now is a molecule called 2-HOBA or, um, or hobamine. And 2-HOBA is an extract from a Himalayan tartary buckwheat. And what it does is it's, it's like an antioxidant 2.0 or even 3.0. What it does is, you know, if you have a, a free radical that um, bounces around your cell and damages a bit of your cell membrane or cellular component, what, at, a, at a molecular level, what's happening is that that free radical is snatching a molecule off your off your delicate cellular machinery, and so that free radical becomes stable, which makes it all happy and it wanders off, and, and that's the end of that story. But the the the, the molecule that has stolen the piece, the piece off becomes radicalized in its own right. It becomes a, a something called a reactive carbonyl species. It's a it's a it's a, it's, it's, it becomes a radicalized molecule, which then goes off and damages another piece of your cell. And so what uh, 2-HOBA does essentially is it's a circuit breaker and it stops that secondary effect or secondary damage from the free radical damage. And what's really exciting about that is that, you know, free radicals are actually used by the body. They're actually healthy. You know, you talked about earlier the fact that when we, we get an unbalance of free radicals, then that's really when the damage occurs. So this um, this particular molecule allows us to maintain healthy free radical signaling whilst mitigating the damage that we get when we have too many free radicals. In terms of the research on that, at what stage are we at? Yeah, it's been around now for, a, 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 I guess, well, I guess a, a decade, but only been accessible to, um, to you, you and I for the last year or so. Um, the research um, is, you know, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars of research that's gone into this particular molecule. Um, the American Heart Health Association is very interested in it because it looks like it can um, moderate certain heart conditions. And likewise, the American Alzheimer's Association is very interested as well because it's just, it's essentially a new way to protect cells and uh, a new way to potentially and reverse some of the damage that's, um, that is the, that cause these you know, conditions like Alzheimer's. So it's a, it's a very much a watch the space, um, but um, quite exciting because it's really the, the first time that we've been able to prevent this particular type of damage across our body and across our cellular systems. I asked that question really what you're focusing on, because I think... Um a lot of people, if they're interested in this area, interested in their own personal health, there is a, an element of confusion as to which direction to go in because, we're frankly, we're bombarded with, with ideas and suggestions and, and potential solutions to our everyday health. And uh, I just 
interested in your thoughts on how to guide people through this very complex maze. Yeah, it is incredibly complex. And everywhere you read, you think, you know, that the web, the web will tell you that you've discovered the holy grail of anti-aging and, and that's it's so difficult to navigate. So that's actually the purpose, um, Peter, of, of the book is to um, give people a like a healthy ageing handbook, if you will, a, a guide. And it's not just all about supplements. There's things that you can do which are accessible to everybody in terms of, like you said, exercise, how we eat, etc. And then we go into what's what's the next level of things that you can do. And, and there's, it's you, you've really got to look at you know the, the metaphor of taking your car into the garage right of you know you it's got the, the mechanic's got a a 49 check that they do to um, give you the warrant of fitness for your car if that's what we do in New Zealand at least so you know if you focus on just you know, one thing then you know you may not be focusing on the other eight things that you need to um slow the aging process down and and so that's yeah so at the top level you're really wanting to say let's look after your dna and a really good example of that is you put sunscreen on your face each day because that protects your sun skin from the sun damage. So if we can do that to our cells, then that's going to help slow the aging process down. Then focus in on the energetics of the cell, so your mitochondria, and 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 support that. And then lastly, um, it's about cellular housekeeping, and we get a wee bit sloppy and, and and bad at that as we get older. So if we can support those processes, so those are the three things that I think if you can. If you can nail right now, then um, you're going to put yourself in a great, a good position in terms of slowing the aging process down. So you've actually just, I think, answered my what was going to be my next question, the thought that came to my mind, in terms of the single most important intervention that perhaps people don't think about, apart from the obvious diet and exercise. But is is there something else that and you mentioned sunscreen, which uh, hopefully a lot of people do think about? But is there anything else that for, for everyday life will be really important for people to think about? to nurture their health at a cellular level. And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Yeah, there's these relatively recent discovery around. Well, it's not. Sorry, it's not particularly recent. It's the is something called senescent cells. And what's recent about it is we've recently discovered how you can help the body remove them. But um, for your audience, senescent cells are like zombie cells. They're the cells that are past their best use date, um, and they're literally the living dead. You know, they they they're cells that have got the handbrake put on because they're not useful to us anymore. And that can happen for a number of reasons. It could be that perhaps the cells identified that it's cancerous and so puts the handbrake on to um, to make sure that it's, it doesn't continue to develop. It could be that it's just simply some scar tissue that um, has finished doing its job and it needs to stop. And so these cells, once they've done their job and they move to becoming senescent, secrete inflammatory molecules. And, and those molecules are there to help the immune system identify that they're not 
they need to be removed and um and and that's what happens when we're young but as we get a little bit older the immune system starts to either ignore those cells or just perhaps doesn't have quite the capacity to get rid of them that they it used to and so they build up and you may be familiar with a term called inflammaging where we seem to get an increased burden of inflammation as we age which um undermines our health well, their senescent cells are a big part of that because they sit there and pump out these unhealthy and unhelpful um, molecules. So what's exciting now is that um, there are molecules that uh, that researchers have discovered which help remove those cells, and this is an area of active research. Um, and one of the most interesting conversations I had recently was with a researcher who was looking at COVID. And... Um, he gave some mice uh, a molecule called fisetin, uh, something that comes from strawberries, um, prior to giving them COVID, essentially, and that these are older mice. Um, and, the, and the group that uh, he gave the fisetin to, they reacted to COVID like someone that's slightly younger might. And so um, Mayo Clinic's doing some research here just to see whether we might be able to um, perhaps um, lower the uh, reaction that older adults have to COVID using this molecule. Well, let's talk a bit more about COVID then. Uh, that's interesting. And, and there is so much to learn from, from what we've gone through over the last year or so. And the pandemic tragically still really isn't over. We've got a, a long way to go yet. But looking further ahead in terms of bigger lessons that, as a human race, perhaps, that we can learn from how COVID took us all by surprise, seemingly, and, and how we dealt with it. And, and for me, it is just emphasises the importance of everyday health, of, of having the strongest immune system possible during normal times to begin to deal with something like a virus like this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that uh, the big lesson here is, yes, you, you know, to get through this, you need to be in a good a shape as possible all the time. And so that means um, being you know, healthy, healthy weight, um, making sure that your immune system is, is looked after. Um, but essentially what we're talking about is, is um, coming right back to anti-aging. It's essentially keeping your cells in good working order. Um, and, and, and through doing so, you're giving yourself the very, very best opportunity to deal with these types of insults. Um, and they're not, you know, this is not unique. We've had pandemics um, for the you know throughout human history we've had little outbreaks around the world in the last you know two decades so this is this is you know business as usual unfortunately and it's just that we've got one that's become it got got out of hand and um but there are some you know silver linings and really good lessons from it and do you think people are learning those lessons do you think people on mass take heed of the kind of things that you're saying and one thing that's prompted me to to ask that question and perhaps more generally the response of people to longevity research and longevity science i was actually interviewed myself recently and introduced as someone who was obsessed with the subject of, of longevity. And to me, obsession can be a good obsession, but there's just that little tinge of criticism there that perhaps you're being overly obsessed with the subject of, of longevity and long-term health. And I'm wondering what kind of response you get from people. Yeah, look, it's a, a good question, Peter, because, you know, you you can sit there and, and I have spoken in front of people and I'm, I'm quite sure I've lost them early on because they can't quite comprehend that uh, we can actually modify the ageing process and at the sort of at the risk of sounding slightly um, nuts, I, I'm a firm believer that we can. And, you know, we've only just got to look back to this thing called the germ theory and it's like we're talking just a little over 120 years ago. The, the prevailing theory about um, infections 
was that it was caused by bad air and bad spirits. And it was through the work of, of scientists that uh, they discovered that it wasn't just bad air, that it was microorganisms. Um, and then maybe 50 years later, um, because scientists had a target to focus on these microorganisms, they worked out how to solve it. And this is what brought antibiotics on board. And that's increased the longevity of the humanity considerably. So what we're talking about here is exactly the same thing. We've got scientists who are starting to understand the pathways associated with ageing. Um, and with that, you targets, you can then start to work out interventions that can start to actually modify the process. So we are at the cusp of some significant breakthroughs. And um, if that's an obsession and it gets humanity forward, I'm, sign me up. I'm ha- more than happy to do it because what we're talking about is not having people live to 150 aged and infirm. It's about being healthy for longer. And that's ultimately what's going to be achieved. And it's a matter of, I guess, for you, for for me, for for many in this space of of longevity, I suppose, to share that positivity and to try to share that enthusiasm, backed up by at least your understanding of the science. Yeah, you know, the uh, my favourite saying is, you know, the future is here; it's just not widely distributed yet. You know, what we're talking about. Um, today will be uh, commonplace because it'll be integrated into society very quickly once we understand that, uh, you know, the benefits of being healthy into 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. You know, there's just societally there's huge benefits. Um, these, um, you know, people are going to be, um, you know, in their 90s and 100s, um, you know, hugely, you know, contribute to society rather than being a burden. These things are going to take us forward and um, and... And ultimately, uh, it'll it'll become common sense and uh, accepted. And, and just on the the theme of, of positivity, do you think people who are positive about their their health and the the health prospects and their longevity are they more likely to grow to a great age and, and stay well? Yeah, that's uh, an absolute um, documented um, and known fact that if you approach aging positively then it has a material outcome on how you age. And so certainly um, by, by attacking it by, um, positively, by taking positive steps, then um, you, you certainly will change your outcome. And for you, what, what is a, a great age? We know that in the Western world, the average lifespan is around 80 years old, 79, 80, varies according to countries. Uh, actually, life expectancy here in the United States has just dropped in the last, uh, the latest statistics or estimations dropped, uh, largely blamed on COVID. But that aside, we're talking about 80 years old. For you, what is a realistic aspirational age? Yeah, so there's, there's two aspects of that question, Peter. One is um, the lifespan, but there's also health span. Right. And uh, just taking you back to health span, um, you know, the average health span, which is the time that we spend in good health on this, this planet, is 63, right? So that's quite confronting for me. That's 11 years away. Um and of course, it's an average, and I hope to do a bunch better than that. But um, you know, you expect, you know, when you're a younger person, that you are going to live to eighty, and it's all uh, it's all fantastic, and you um, you I guess drop dead one day, and and that's that's all it is. But there's actually an element of you know decline, which is reasonably unpleasant to experience. Um, and so, what we're looking to do there is to go, okay, how do we push this health span out? Um, and in terms of lifespan. Um, like, uh, you know, we, we know humans at, at, at the far outliers live in the 100 120, uh, 100 teens. Um, I'd like to see that we can get to 
a uh, hundred um, at least um, with with a you know a, a firm body in mind, so to speak, and, and that's the first step towards the, the next leap, which could be considerably longer. You've just focused my mind by saying sixty three. I hadn't actually heard in terms of health span sixty three, three and a half years away for me. I I'm surprised at that. I'm surprised it's so low. Yeah, it's, it it was something that I'd conveniently just ignored um, until you sort of sit down and actually have to confront it. Um, and, uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you, you become instantly unwell. It just means that you start that decline and you're more likely to get pick up various conditions associated with, with ageing. And, um, you know, the further we can push that little window out and that, that, that number, the better from from where I'm sitting. And in terms of your own life, your own everyday regime, your morning routine, what you eat and and your exercise, based on everything that you've learned during your career with your health span in mind, how do you live your life? Yeah, so I exercise um, each day and it's it's not, you know, essentially I go for a long walk and I do a little bit of work which gets me me out of breath each day. Biggest change I've made is is fasting. So um, I two days a week I um, only eat one meal, um, and and that's really what I. Well, there's two reasons for that. One is I love food, so you know, and you need to start addressing the calories that, that go in, and this is one easy way to do it. Um, two, we know that um, fasting stimulates an awful lot of cellular housekeeping processes. It clears out um, junk cells and junk proteins, and when you eat again, then it gets, the body gets a chance to refresh that with new shiny. Um, components, etc. So there's some real benefits there. Um, and uh, I've also started meditating, which is not something I've done um, previously, but um, it's certainly just moderating stress. Um, you know, we all deal with stress, but um, it's actually, it's how you deal with it. It's not the level of stress that's actually what's important. So those those are the key things, as well as um, taking a number of supplements like the Hobemen that we talked about. Um, I boost uh, NAD through a molecule called NMN. And I uh, take a, a small concoction of molecules which uh, stimulate uh, autophagy, which is the removal of the cells that we don't need, um, and, and moderately flip this uh, switch called mTOR towards, uh, towards fasting so that uh, the body's just constantly, uh, uh, I guess, got the sense that it, it, it's maybe food's not around the corner. And um, and so switching on certain longevity circuits. Interesting. Just going back to your one meal a day on, you said two days a week you do that. Mm. Um, how do you plan that day? Is it a, an early in the day meal? Is it later in the day? And what, what kind of meal is it? Yeah, so uh, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believer and I don't know whether it's, it's I'm trying to be, it's, I'm trying to make the, the facts suit me, but uh, I, it's, it's really what, when you eat, not what you eat. So I have my I eat regularly up until Sunday evening, and then I don't eat again until Monday evening, and then not again until Tuesday evening, and then it's back to usual. And um, you know, it's it's not difficult once you get used to it. It's actually I think really important that we we do um, to, to do this, and uh, that's yeah, that's the process. And I don't particularly restrict my calories at the end of the day on Monday or Tuesday. That's interesting. I so I've experimented with lots of different fasting regimes, including a fasting mimicking diet where you're eating some food, but you're still restricting your calories for a, a five-day spell, generally a five-day spell. But more recently, I, I've just started doing time-restricted eating and just restricting my eating. As you say, it's not necessarily what, but uh, when you eat the food. And finding that purely because it's easy to do, concentrating my eating between approximately 8 or 9 a.m. and about 6 p.m. And crucially, again, for me, uh, we're all different 
but not eating after 6pm makes a huge difference to my sleep that night. Yeah, and the other thing too is just not snacking in between meals as well. You know, we've we, when we eat um, some something, and it could be anything from just a, a small snack, um, the body um, still recognises that as food and, and kicks off various um, pathways to assimilate that food. And those pathways can take you know a couple of hours to to sort of spin up and spin down again. So if we don't give ourselves a bit of time between eating, then um, we're essentially always on that mTOR switch. Is, is is always on the assimilate the food uh, mode. And so by turning it off, by um, not eating or taking breaking from eating, it's, it's, just, it's just very helpful. And I think as we learn more about this, um, it's going to become more and more important. And, and, and really what we're doing is we're, we're simulating our, our biology from you know, hundred thousand years ago, you know, there were times when there wasn't food around, and there were times when there was. Our bodies are designed to move and, and exercise, and these, I think, are why these these interventions are actually anti-aging because it just suits our biology. You know, we're modern human beings in a modern world, um, but ancient bodies. And so, if we, the closest we can get, closer we can get back to actually replicating and the, the our biology and the uh, circumstances that our biology operated in um, way, way back, um, the better. And the point being, when, when you refer to many, many years ago, that hunter-gatherer kind of existence, the feasts and famine times, the point being that we've evolved as, as animals from those human beings at that time. Some critics might say, well, why look back many centuries ago when we often didn't live beyond 25 years old? That isn't really a good example. But that is not the point, is it? That as animals, that, that's what we've evolved from. Yeah, that's right. I'm sure that you know there were periods in our history where we were probably uh, Homer sapiens in terms of being able to just reach over and pick up food. It would have just been so plentiful. But there were other times, absolutely, where um, there were sort of many ice ages or just uh, environments where we didn't have access to food, and so we had to learn to adapt. Um, and and that's ultimately uh, where we just, we, we, I guess, yeah, where we need to practice is to just try and mimic that as much as we can. And you mentioned daily exercise, uh, the importance of uh, at least at some point during that exercise, getting out of breath and, and, and pushing yourself. Presumably your heart rate goes up and maybe your blood pressure increases a little bit with exercise. Hopefully your blood pressure comes down pretty quickly after the exercise. That, that's the whole point. But um, again, something that I've learned fairly recently, that that is crucially important. And I, I, I now religiously do it every morning and actually feel better for it. Yeah, it's just putting our body under a bit of stress and, um, and it responds so well. You know, our, our bodies are designed to adapt to our environment. Um, you only have to look at if, you know, you're working outside and you get calluses on your, your hands and your skin is essentially adapting to that, that stress. And, and it's, and it's adapting to the positive. So by putting your body under stress, doing that exercise, pushing yourself so that you're a little bit uncomfortable. And it doesn't matter if that's what that means. It's different to you and and and, and to me, um, but it's it's stimulating your body and making it adapt to the environment and and, and stimulating processes which are generally beneficial. And let me ask you this, and I ask a lot of people this same question: 
What is the main reason for wanting to live to a great age and still be healthy? Now, the answer seems very obvious to me, but I get lots of different answers to that. What is the main motivation to be a very healthy, vibrant 95-year-old? To me, it's just it's spending time with the people that you love. It's um, getting that opportunity to um, share that time with them. I think the opportunity to master something, to actually have time where you can actually become an expert in... I don't know, table tennis, reading, fishing, whatever it is, you know, just there is an element of um, joy to me in, in mastering a, a subject. But ultimately, um, it's, yeah, it's being around and experiencing um, what this wonderful planet has to offer. And that is often, well, is, is for me, the people around me. And I hear that a lot. And it's, it's a great point. Just in closing, let me ask you, in terms of your work and, and coming back to your writing, what is the aspect of your research and your work that at this stage you're most proud of? Yeah, I think um, the, the book is, um, is is what I'm extremely proud of simply because it's a, this is important information that's going to be, that people can just work with right now. It's not something that's far away, it's it's within reach. And so, you know, the, this paper, whilst it's rather complex, I, I, I wrote the book based on a paper called The Hallmarks of Aging. And um, I, I wrote it because it's such important information that um, people can use to actually make a difference in their life right now. So, you know, in terms of um, you know, what drives me is an impact on how I help people. And I think that so, you know, this book is really where it's at. And then I've gone on to develop a, a, a company called SRW Laboratories. And, and what we're doing there is, I guess, taking the guesswork out of having to work out which molecules to take. And, and, and so we've just made it very easy for people just to purchase products and essentially um, take the knowledge that's distilled out of the book. And um, it's a very simple one, two, three process to stay healthy. Greg, it's a fascinating book, fascinating interview. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Peter. Really good to talk to you. And just to repeat, the book is called Harnessing the Nine Hallmarks of Aging. I'll put the details into the show notes for this episode at the Live Long and Master Aging website. You'll find us at LamaPodcast.com. It's double L-A-M-A podcast.com. The Lama Podcast is a Healthspan media production. In social media, you'll find us at Lama Podcast. You can contact me at Peter Bowes. We're on all of the major podcasting platforms now. We're really spoiled for choice. Apple Podcasts, where you can rate and review us. Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Audible, to name but a few. Wherever you find us, do take care. And thank you for listening.